Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I love spending this time with you, and I'm so grateful that you are tuning in to Faith Radio. And I I just love this uh, time for me. Just my day feels so normal when I'm here because the rest of the world feels kind of crazy. But it's so great to come here and to talk about God's Word and to encourage and lift people up. I've just been lost in Psalms lately, and I want to thank Pastor Sean Winters for helping us uh, go through Psalm 46. But in Psalm 3, starting in verse 3, it says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. You certainly think of all the uh, virus germs out there. That might be the tens of thousands on every side. But uh, we will not fear, and we will continue to uh, trust the Lord every every day, every hour, every minute. All right, David Wheaton's going to be my guest, so let me take our 60-second break, and then I'll bring him on. Of all the things to give up for Lent, don't give up on hope. I'm Neil Stave, a manager of Faith Radio. Hebrews 10.35 tells us not to throw away our confident trust in the Lord, followed by a reminder that Jesus is coming back soon. At Faith Radio, we continue to deliver that good news. Jesus died, rose from the grave, and is coming back again. Your gifts allow us to share the gospel across this growing media ministry and bring this message of hope. Thank you for joining our support team with a gift at MyFaithRadio.com. God has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Daily encouragement from God's Word and reminders of His promises. This is Faith Radio. belongs to David Wheaton, my friend, host of The Christian Worldview. Go to thechristianworldview.org, and you can learn all about David. Of course, you know all about him because he's on the show every other week. And right now, we have been talking about uh, our series on Genesis, getting back to the beginning. And I thought there's no better time to resume that than right now. Hey, David. Hey, good afternoon, Bill. Thank you so much. Um, what about Wimbledon this year? I was just thinking the same thing as yeah. I heard that music. I did too. Well, <laughs> it, was, it was strange that I, I, I don't know what's happening as far as whether the tournament's going to be delayed, but I haven't looked into it. But I did see that the French Open, which normally takes place the last week in May and the first week in June, has been delayed until September. Wow. I mean, How never in that? history. That conflicts I, I just, with the U.S. Open. I, I don't even know. I have no idea how it's all going to work out. I think we're all in uncharted territory here where things that – 
we see in a seasonal calendar every year are being jostled around. Yeah. Well, some sports uh, talk radio have kind of run out of things to say up until today when Tom Brady signed with the Buccaneers. But um, the nice thing about Faith Radio is we have no shortage of things to talk about. No. That the, means the Bible something. And, that means something. You're right. You're exactly right. The Bible and God himself, the author of it, are inexhaustible. Yep. Got that so correct. And I know we started a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or so talking about uh, this series on Genesis. And frankly, I can't wait to get back to it. Yeah, because it is, you know, we often think of Genesis as being so way back then, but actually as you read it, and even the first 11 chapters, we probably, I don't know if we'll go through the whole book, it might take a few years, but, um, <laughs> you know, we'll, you know, what we're going to go over, we're giving a kind of the 10,000 foot view, but right. um, the things we're covering from who God is and that God is the creator and he speaks, how that changes everything and how he made us male and female and created the institution of marriage and how sin entered the world. I mean, all these things are incredibly relevant uh, for the world today and our, in our individual lives as well. All right, let's uh, do just a little bit of a brief uh, review of what we did last time in Genesis 4. And, you know, maybe we can talk about the effect uh, that, that the fall had on, on Adam and Eve's kids and on us today. Yeah, that's what we talked about a couple of times ago. Yeah. And that was... Um, a momentous time in human history. It changed everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I like to look at history. It helps explain it and understand it. If you look at history in, in sort of four stages, there was creation where there was perfection. So you could say, call it creation or perfection where God created the heavens and the earth. It was perfect. There was no sin. It was just as God had designed and intended. And then the second stage came shortly thereafter of corruption and that's where Adam and Eve fell. They decided to to go their own way instead of God's way. It was the first time sin entered the world, and it it caused spiritual death, spiritual separation from God, and it also call, caused eventually physical death. And that is the explanation for things that everything that goes wrong today in our world, whether it's the coronavirus or anything else. God didn't design the coronavirus to be af- afflicting the world and to kill people. That's a result of the fall. So there's something that's very relevant from what happened in Genesis 2 today as well. That explains it. So creation and corruption. But then right after that corruption, that fall, the next stage, the third stage of redemption, God immediately instituted a way to redeem or to save humanity from the consequence, the death penalty, basically, of of sin. And he started to do that right away after the fall by providing coverings of skin for for Adam and Eve. He talked about a future a redeemer coming that would 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 crush the head of the serpent and so forth right away, right there in Genesis, the first chapters, he's talking about Christ coming. And that's what we live between these two second and third stages today of a corruption in the world, but yet God's redeeming some out of that corruption. That's the good news. And then eventually someday the fourth stage is, is the restoration of all things that we see in Revelation where God creates a new heavens and new earth. There's judgment for those who reject him in his offer of forgiveness, and there's there's heavenly eternity uh, for those who receive by faith his offer of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. David, since we started the series together, I've kind of been going back and, and reading Genesis and enjoying it, reading it slow, taking my time, and I came across in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 3, but God uh, did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die and I, I thought to myself, well, they had never experienced death in any way unless they had witnessed animals in the garden dying or what was their, what kind of a 
understanding would they have about death when yeah, they the had real, no experience with it? It's a really good question because nothing had died. And by the way, this is the this is the great um, argument against the Big Bang theory and macroevolution that we took you know billions of years and there's billions of years of fossils and death and life laid down before Adam and Eve. It's it's just there's no evidence for that. First of all, uh, there couldn't be death before Adam and Eve sinned because there was no sin before then. The only reason that what causes death is sin. And so I, I will just have to assume that Adam and Eve were told by God what death was mm -hmm. during that warning. Maybe there was more told to them than scripture tells us. Um, but they were given a, sometimes people say, well, God was so restrictive. Well, he wasn't restrictive at all. It, it was a test of faith, basically. He's the creator. He created us. And it was a test of faith whether we, Adam and Eve, our, our human representatives in the garden, so to speak, would be obedient. So he said, you can eat from all the trees of the garden, every single one, enjoy them all, except for that one. So it wasn't, God's commands are not burdensome. No. But but the, the, and he also gave us free will, which is a, which is a gracious thing. He could have made us into robots just to serve him. He didn't do that. Right. So he said, don't eat from that tree. And of course, Satan fell somewhere in there. He was created as a perfect angel by God, but he gave the angel some limited free choice and Satan wanted to be like God and he fell. And then he wanted to make others fall with him. And that's when he tempted Adam and Eve and, and they fell. But I don't know actually what, what their understanding of death would have been, but there was no death before before Satan first fell and then Adam and Eve shortly thereafter fell, that's when death entered the world. So David, God must have built into us this 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 thing that says we I want some self sovereignty. I, I want to do things my way. Because I can't think of another reason why they would have disobeyed. That's that's exactly right. So that that element of free will he he gives us is a free will to either choose to obey God or to go our own way. And that's ultimately what sin is. It's going our own way when it conflicts with God's way. It's saying, you're the creator. You may be, I may be accountable to you. You're the king. You're the sovereign of this universe, but I'm going to go my own way and do what I want to do instead of going your way. That That's really the definition of sin. And by the way, that this is when false religion started as well, too. You go making our own religious ways that are contrary to what God wants us to do. In Genesis 4, uh, we even discussed this last time that you know, Cain and Abel, the, the the two sons of Adam and Eve, right after Adam and Eve fall, shortly thereafter, they have Cain and Abel. And then they, they each were told to bring a sacrifice to God because now God has instituted some sort of sacrif early sacrificial system to help man understand that sin brings forth death and you must bring an animal as a substitute uh, to atone temporarily for your sin until Christ would come to someday and be the permanent a sacrifice for your sin. And so what is Abel does, Abel, one son, brings what God asked him to bring, so the, the first the first of his flock, an animal. Mm -hmm. But Cain doesn't. Cain brings fruit of the ground. And Cain sinned by doing that. And Cain was so disappointed. God said, why is your countenance falling? Why are you angry? Uh, you must overcome sin. And, and Cain responds to it, doesn't repent, doesn't return to God, but gets angry and takes out his anger and bitterness against his brother, Abel, and kills him. And this was the beginning of false religion, because now Cain's going to worship God the way he wants to worship God, not the way God had prescribed him to be worshiped. All right, David, uh, Genesis chapter 5 is a genealogy from Adam to Noah, and it's going to be, uh, I want to ask the big why question so soon into uh, Genesis, but let me take a, for a quick break first, and we come back. Lots more with David Wheaton. Uh, 
We'll be back in 90 seconds. is my guest. I always look forward to our time together. David is the host of The Christian Worldview. Go to thechristianworldview.org. David, uh, we're in our Genesis series, which I love, by the way. And in Genesis chapter 5, we get this big genealogy from Adam to Noah. How come? Yeah, sort of odd, isn't it? You know, we're only bit. five. Yeah, we're only a few chapters into Genesis, and all of a sudden we're getting a genealogy. And I, I think the, the reason that is, is that, um, you know, Right away from the very beginning, a flood, the worldwide flood is about to happen in, in chapter six is the setup for that. And it really happens in chapter seven. So there's a genealogy here right away because of this flood judgment that's about to happen. And following generations would need to know the history of who their forebears were, mm. because everyone was going to be wiped off the face of the earth, except Noah and his family. Just eight people would, would remain. So there was going to be a record of who who came before them. But also in this little passage here, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. This is chapter five, verse one and two. And in the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. It's almost a reiteration of what took place in the first couple of chapters, just a few chapters ago. So he's reiterating some important things here. In other words, the things that they're bringing out in that passage is that God is creator. And he named man. In other words, it established his authority and, and man's accountability to God. In case we were wondering, God created you and he named you, and therefore you're under his authority. It's like when you name your dog. I mean, you're you're the owner and the dog has to obey you. And that's a bad example, but you get the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, God's likeness. It said, again, we're made in the likeness of God. God already said this, but it's a reminder of this, again, that humans are different than all of God's other creation. We're, we're like God in many ways. We can reason we can love, we can appreciate beauty. I mean, my dog never goes out and says, look at that beautiful sunset at night. O only humans can do that because we're made in God's image. We have an eternal soul, mm -hmm. it says. So it's a reminder then that we're meant to be in relationship with God. We're made in his likeness. We're meant to relate to him as there's relationship in and of himself and the Trinity. We're also created to be in relationship with him. And then even the male and female part, how relevant is that today? People are questioning right. the, the, the the sex or gender that God designed them to be. He's, he's established this from the very beginning. You're male or female. This is unchangeable. This is who I made you to be for very good reason. Embrace that. Mm -hmm. And so th this is really relevant, Bill, to know that we are created by God. We are accountable to him. We are designed to know him and to walk with him. And then right there back in the, the fifth chapter of Genesis. Yeah. So, David, when we start to think of the length of lives back yeah. in earlier times, Methuselah, of course, he lived to be that ripe old age of 969. <laughs> and I'm sure there were friends that said, you know, poor guy didn't make it to a thousand. He was so close. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, sometimes we read that and we think, was that maybe, you know, allegorical? Right. Or, no, these are actually literal years. I mean, Noah it says, had three sons when he was aged 500 years old. And so you have to remember that there was a different environment, a different um, system in our the environment back then before the flood happened. It's Now, I don't understand all of this, so forgive me a little bit here, but it sounds like there was some sort of water canopy because it says when the flood happened, the the the, the fountains of the deep came up and water came down from above and it had never rained down there, so it wasn't just like rain 
there was likely some sort of water canopy above the earth that blocked all the ultraviolet rays. And you got to remember people at this point were like, their genetics were like almost perfect because it was just shortly after the fall. Mm -hmm. So they were super healthy condition. And so they lived a very, very long time. These are literal years that they they lived. And so, and remember, man was designed to live forever. If Adam and Eve ostensibly hadn't sinned, they'd still be living today. That's how God designed it. But sin changed all that and brought death upon the human race and upon all of life on earth. Now, after the flood bill, life stands, lifespans dramatically shortened. By the time Abraham comes around, not too much longer in Genesis, he only lives to 175 years, which is much longer than today, but still a big shortening. Then, then after that, um, even in Psalms, it says in Psalms, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or, or of due to strength, 80 years. Right. So it, it didn't take very much longer for something to radically in change in the world's environment that all of a sudden, and besides sin, of course, that caused death, but it also caused the lifespans to be much shorter. And I think this new environment after the flood has something to do with the disappearance of dinosaurs and everything else. So something major happened in the difference in the environment before the flood and after it. Yeah. There, there's always that little odd passage, I think it's in Genesis 6, that talks about the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves. Yeah. Whoa, what does what that if, mean? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're beating me to the punch. I hope you can uh, shed some light yeah. on that. Yeah. Well, it, it is a, a odd passage, but the, the, the odd thing is it's actually referenced a couple times in the New Testament. So there must be some significance to it. It's not just some passage in the Old Testament that you see and it's just never mentioned again. Second uh, Peter chapter two mentions it. Jude chapter six mentions it. Uh, it says the, the passage in Genesis uh, six says, now it came about when men began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Um, and the implication there, the sons of God, this is not like, like, like angels of God, that the, the, the word is more, it's always considered to be more of a demonic angel. So it's, it's in other words, this is, I think this is the first example, again, may not be right here, but I think this is the first instance, at least recorded instance of demon possession in scripture where, where these demons are, are possessing men and then procreating with women. They weren't creating some demonic race, uh, but God apparently was so um, upset and so wrathful over it that he consigned these angels, it says in Jude 6, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. And this is referring to that passage in Genesis 6. He has kept an eternal bonds under darkness for the day of judgment, for the great day of judgment. In other words, he took these angels, these demons who did this, who, who would possess men and then procreated with women, he put them in basically judgment until a future judgment day. And you know, this is the first instance of demon possession, but, but this became something, if, as, as you read the, the Gospels, this is something that Jesus did apparently regularly casting demons out of people. But it's just notable that it started way back here in Genesis 6. Wow. You know, I always uh, think about people way, way long ago, and you wonder what they were like. And, of course, it's fascinating that, People live much longer and, you know, Methuselah being so old and I'd love to see what a 969 year old guy looks like. I mean, uh, <laughs> but how, how were people then different than now? Well, I think there was probably some, 
probably very similar to us now. I think I think the point is is that you think, oh, maybe they didn't have the technology. Of course, they didn't have all that. But again, this was shortly after the fall, so uh, people back then were incredibly brilliant, uh, insightful. Uh, they were resourceful. They could design things that you know we use computers and machines to do today. So the people back then weren't dumb or anything. Uh, they probably had great intellect to be dealing with very little that we have fully today. But it says in Genesis 6 that the, what was similar about them is the heart of man was the same back in then as it is today. It says in verse 5 of Genesis 6, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And then he said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, God knew in advance what would happen here beforehand. He wasn't, you know, just that he was basically saying he's going to do something about this. Man was, his heart was only evil continually. And you think of today in the world and how this relates and you know, there's not everything is is doesn't mean there's no good in the world today. There there is some that that's for sure. But the world, even as you were kind of intimating before we started the uh, the interview today, the world is dominated by craziness, which I think would be translated translated as evil. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at what goes on around the world from North Korea and the repressive concentration camps and to China, the totalitarian control the government exerts there to the oppression. In, uh, in deaths of martyrs of Christians around the world, too, even in America. I mean, I look at something like the the push to add to the 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 total of the millions, the 60 million abortions in this country, uh, the rejection of God in so many aspects of our society, and maybe we may be, you know, comparable comparatively, you know, way beyond them techno- technologically but our hearts are still wicked and evil. And, and that brings us to the point of what happens next in Genesis chapter 7, where God destroys the world, but there still is good news in the midst of all this that God is going to save some. And he still, he was patient with Noah. He told Noah to build the ark, and he gave the world from this continually evil time 120 years while he was building the ark to repent and return to the Lord. It didn't happen for any of them, but he saved Noah because Noah's heart was right before him. Noah was repenting over his sin. He believed in who God is. He was truly saved. And that's the, the, the relevance for us today. We have wicked hearts, but God is still patient and offering us a way to be right with him. And that's through his son, what his son did on the cross for yeah. us. David, I'm going to really look forward to the next time we talk because we're going to process the flood next time, I hope. And mm-hmm. uh, that's an amazing, um, amazing that what God did. Um, it is amazing. Yeah. So have a good rest of the day and blessings on you and your family. And I will talk to you next time. Blessings to you too, Bill. Thank Thanks you. David Wheaton's been my guest. Go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David and his awesomeness. He's always awesome. Take a little break. We'll come back. Pastor John Braylon will be joining us.
Welcome back to the show. So glad to be introducing to the show Pastor John Braylon. He's the pastor of Freshwater Church in Waconia, Minnesota. And he recently uh, preached a message about, put me in, coach, I'm ready. And I thought it to be absolutely encouraging and motivating. And uh, it's time to take courage and, and have steadfast hope. So I thought maybe we'd get a chance to process that message. John, welcome. Hey, thanks. It's great to be with you today. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story, maybe your uh, your testimony in less than three minutes. <laughs> sure, no problem. So uh, I grew up in Burnsville, just 35 minutes south of where I minister now, and I became a Christian while I was serving in the United States Air Force overseas, and uh, that's where I gave my life to Christ and wound up coming back, going to Crown College, and uh, I was going to go into law enforcement because that's what I did in the military. I worked law enforcement and did uh, officer special investigations and but when I went to Crown College, uh, God had just kind of laid on my heart to care for people, and more and more opportunities arose. And eventually, I decided to pursue that calling and go into pastoral ministries and uh, worked for three years then at Parkside Church in Waconia. And then one of the leaders there said, "Why don't you start your own church?" Which was uh, which was great. And so we did. We actually started a church in the town of Saint Bonifacius, which is about four miles from Waconia. And now we actually have two campuses, one in Waconia and one in St. Bonifacius. And so I've been doing that now for 20 years. We just celebrated our 20-year anniversary as a church, and it's uh, it's pretty exciting. That it's is a crazy ex- journey. That is exciting. And how long were you in the military? I was in the service for four years. Okay. And were you in on the on the police side of it the whole time you were in the military? Yeah, I worked. Uh, I was stationed in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I wouldn't exactly call that an exotic destination, <laughs> but I was in Grand yeah. Forks for two years, and I worked law enforcement there, so we drove around just like a city police officer would and wrote traffic tickets and parking tickets and all yeah. that stuff. And then when I went to Germany, the threat was a little bit more real, and uh, that's when I, I got picked to join the Office of Special Investigations. It's like the FBI for the Air Force, and uh, there I was an undercover narcotics agent, believe it or not. And uh, it was there that, that I met my friend Tim Lang, who ultimately led me to Christ. That's fantastic. And uh, did you grow up in a church environment, or were you just not up, that interested? I grew up uh, going to church with my parents, but I would not say I was interested. I was kind of interested in the girls at the time, yeah, but uh, not uh, not so much in God. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and what did Tim say to you that got your attention in a, in a new, fresh way? Sure. What he said was, as we worked together, I was so far from God. My perception of God was that God was this uh, kind of just like a cowboy in the sky wearing a cowboy hat who just nodded at me periodically. That was really my distorted perception of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he and I started working together, it was actually, uh, I I got sent down uh, to the Persian Gulf War, and that got me thinking about eternity and what would happen if I got shot or killed, as I as I saw and experienced, you know, several occasions that were that were you know kind of difficult. I started thinking about that, and then when I worked with my friend Tim, we did a lot of these sting operations, and we would spend hour after hour together in the car, and it, it wasn't like TV; it's actually quite boring. And we would <laughs> sit there, and we would just talk about life, mm-hmm. and he would answer my questions. Not only that, but if he didn't have an answer, he'd say, "John." Now, let me get back to you, because I'm like, oh, you know, do you really think that heaven is real, or do you think hell is real, or don't all religions lead to the same God anyways? I mean, I had these just 
ballpark questions, and he answered them and even came back to me with answers. And, and to me, that was fascinating. And so I started searching. And I think that's when the Holy Spirit just got a hold of my heart and started pulling me in. And I, I examined all kinds of world religions, and I settled on Christianity because Christianity is based on truth. It's not just an emotional experience. It's based on reality. Mm-hmm. And so um, I came to the emotional and intellectual conclusion that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, John, do you think like when you were uh, in the military and you were fearing that your life could be taken on any given day, that it got you thinking about, okay, what would happen to me if I die? Now, do you think what's going on in the world today, right now, that there's also people having that thought that there could be a revival and there could be a a new openness to the gospel like never before? Right. I I actually do. And here's where I think, I think right now the church stands in a very precarious situation because it is now that the church is able to step up and to be the church. And for many people, it's the first time that anyone will see the church act like the church because our community, our society, the world that we live in, people are actually living in fear. And even if they don't tell you they are, Look at the stores. Why would people buy out all of the toilet paper, all of the meat, all the produce if they weren't afraid? Mm -hmm. People right now are living in fear. And this is an opportunity like unprecedented in history for the church to reassure people that God is still on his throne. So even as they look at, hey, I might get this illness, whatever, what will happen to me and my family? Now's our chance to point them towards Christ, because Jesus says that he will give us peace. And yeah. I really believe that. Yeah, we could do great things. So I would love to hear some of the initiatives that you and your church are doing, just as a complete inspiration to everybody else. Oh, thanks. So uh, last week, like every other pastor in the country, I prepared a message, and you know, you're all ready to preach it. And then circumstances changed. Literally, they changed. And uh, on Saturday, I, as I was talking to my wife, Kathy, she's just an amazing woman. And, and I said, Kathy, I, I, have to, I have to address this. And she said, you do, because that's what leaders do. They lead, and mm-hmm. you need to lead. And so I wrote a message to our church, and so many people watched it online. We had a small, a small presence of, of people that showed up. We closed our public services for this week, but, but they showed up, and I just challenged them that in these times, uh, I taught them how to pastor, how to be the church. And I said, you need to exercise compassion. You need to serve others. And you need to broker hope, broker hope. In other words, you need to let people know that Jesus still loves them, that God is still on his throne, and that we don't have to live in fear. But we can live by faith. There's such a radical difference. Do say more about that, because this is the message I want to keep repeating over and over, John. Right. So so the whole whole gist of it for Christians is that as we broker hope and as we serve others, that's what it means to really step up as the church and always point people towards Jesus. I mean, th- we should never, as believers, shine the spotlight on us. But whenever we have the spotlight, we should always tip it towards the cross and say, you know what, it's really about Jesus. God loves us so much that he gave his life for us. It's up to us now to step up and to serve others, to step up and to be the body of Christ, to step up and to broker hope. Well, what does that mean? Let me just explain what exactly that means. 
part of uh, serving others means that instead of being selfish, like I'm finding so many people now are all into hoarding, mm-hmm. it's our job to actually step up and to serve other people. Instead of closing our doors, we need to open them. Instead of saying, oh, this is all I have, I have to keep it. It's by saying, no, how can I meet your needs? And what we're seeing is the church being mobilized to step up and to be the church. And here's the fascinating thing. This is kind of the fallout from that. When the church steps up to be the church, it reassures other people that God is in control. They're seeing the hands and feet of Christ through believers. And in doing so, it lowers their fear. It lowers their anxiety. It lowers their panic. And ultimately, it helps our stores have food on the shelves. It helps our stores, the supply chains. It helps our medical field. So by being the church, it's actually serving the greater community on a scale that's been unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, that's lovely. What are some other practical things that has popped into your mind? Because you can certainly think of people who are uh, shut-ins, who don't you know, have access to the kind of uh, you know, shopping that they need to do. And we need to obviously be reaching out to those people and, and asking, what can I do to help? And can I drop a box of food off and pray with you and all that? And do it right. appropriately and follow, you know, what the CD, CDC is suggesting that we do, because you wouldn't want to bring uh, something to a, a, an elderly person who might have a compromised immunity system. Correct. And I, I'm absolutely positive that we need to follow the CDC guidelines, just like you would say, Bill, that, that we need to follow the CDC guidelines. That's just that's just being smart. And mm-hmm. I was having a conversation today with another pastor, and, and he was saying, I realized that it's not just about me. He's a, a man who's who's younger, and if he got sick, yeah, he'd, he'd probably overcome it. But some of the people around him are older and more shut in. And for them, this isn't a cold. This is something that would, you know, has the very real possibility of taking their life or altering their life, certainly forever. And uh, part of just taking care of ourselves really does affect the greater community. So when... Uh, people are struggling with uh, hope and they're struggling with fear. Um, I would love for you to uh, start talking in that pastoral way that tries to bring that fear down a little bit and that hope up. Sure. So when I got done speaking on Sunday, my challenge was really to to people to say, you know, put me in coach, put me in coach. In other words, I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. And I was absolutely overwhelmed at the sheer number of people that emailed me and sent me Facebook messages and text messages and, and said, put me in. And then we were faced with a whole new problem because when you have, you know, 20, 30, 50, hundred people say, put me in coach. <laughs> the problem is you don't even know what sport you're playing. So right. Where are you going to put them? So we sat down together and, and as a, a team, I've just got an incredible group of people that I work with here at Freshwater Church. And uh, we started thinking about what can we do that would really flatten ministry and enable us to impact not just our community, but communities across the country. And so what we decided to do is that we wanted to start little villages. Now, a village is a group of up to 50 people. We're using primarily Facebook as a platform for this. And so we asked people to start these villages. So they they label them FW, which is for freshwater, and then space village, and then space and then they can name it whatever they want, like the Joneses mm-hmm. uh, Village or Donaldson Village or East St. Bonnie Village. 
And so they named them these villages, and they make uh, myself or Pastor Zach, he's just incredibly brilliant at this Facebook stuff, an administrator. And then that connects us all together as the greater body. But what this has done is people have responded like crazy, and they've started these villages all over the place of 50 people or less. Now, here's what happens is they become the moderator of that group. But now all of these people in this group actually are able to post their need with others, knowing that it's not a group of 10,000, but there's 50 people in their uh, geographic proximity who say, hey, I'm, I'm out of spaghetti noodles. Does anyone have any noodles? Someone in their group, who they already are going to know, uh, can post on there, hey, I've got noodles, uh, I'll drop them off on your front steps, and then when I leave, you can come outside and pick them up. So we're, we're eliminating that face-to-face contact if they want, uh, or they're allowed to you know, set it out and exchange just like you normally do. But that way, people are actually meeting one another's needs. There's no logistical stockpiling of food or water or hand sanitizer or bath tissue, but it simply is taking a group of 50 or less, which is so manageable, and allowing them to minister to one another. And that's how the church can be the church. And so we've spent several days now just firing off uh, messages to these people. We've had dozens and dozens of people step up and say, I want to lead a group. I want to moderate a group. And these are people who who normally would never do that, but they've stepped up, they've started these groups. And what we've seen is people are joining these groups like crazy. And what that does is it lowers fear. Mm. It lowers anxiety. And they're actually able to post a Bible verse, like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Or John three sixteen, talking about, you know, for God so loved the world. It's always pointing people back to Christ. And that helps reduce people's fear. Because if you know that just one other person is in your corner, and your fear just goes way down. And so for shut-ins, or for people who don't have social media, and we certainly know there's a lot of them out there, what we've asked people to do is to simply adopt their neighbor. So if, if you have a, a neighbor who might be older or shut-in, we just say, hey, why don't you go check on them every day and meet their needs? And, and if they don't have any needs, great. But you can post in your village, hey, I stopped and, and talked to the Johnsons, and they're all good. So everyone knows that we are actually being accountable to one another and, and holding people um, holding people not only accountable for, for good reasons, like to make sure they're okay, but we're meeting the needs of the greater community. Uh, it's a brilliant idea, John, and thank you for sharing that. I know listeners are going to be very interested in this, but if if I were to have started a group uh, in this my little village, I could be inviting uh, my friends, my neighbors, uh, right into my village and cut it off at 50 and say, this is our village. Right. And then once you reach that number, um, other people can start new villages. And you could be a part of two or three different villages if you want to. The point is that it has to be scalable. It has to be small enough that people can join and still feel connected. Because when someone posts out there like to a group of a thousand, hey, I need spaghetti noodles. Well, one is someone or a lot of people are going to always think that someone else will meet that need. So you'll actually have less interaction oftentimes in a larger group than you'll get in a smaller group, especially if the person who was asking, like if you're in my group, Bill, and you said, hey, I need noodles, I'd be like, I know Bill. I know mm. who lives. 
I'm going to come down and just bring them to your house, or you can stop by my house and pick them up. Yeah. And that's what, that's what the church can do. And I believe that's biblical, and that's what the church is. I love it. Uh, John, let me take a little break. Pastor John Braylon is my guest. He's the pastor of Freshwater Church in Waconia, Minnesota. We'll be back in 90 seconds. All right, we are back with Pastor John Braylon, pastor of Freshwater Church in Waconia, Minnesota, talking about how us believers should find and can find many creative ways to live out the kingdom of heaven today. And this uh, organizing these villages uh, on social media is just a really, I really love this idea, John. And it seems like if you cut it off at 50, people feel like they're in a in a group size that people will hear them if they... If they say, I would re- like to re- request this kind of help, that they'll be responded to. Um, right. So I, I love, I love what, the, what we're doing, because obviously we have to have obedience to earthly authorities. But as, as believers, we need to be real creative real fast. Right. right. And so, you know, for church leaders, it's kind of like when I was with my staff, uh, I'm kind of like, well, a lot of your time just freed up. So we can actually focus on meeting the needs of the people because churches spend so much time and effort preparing for the weekend services. Now that's kind of done. Like we're not printing programs. We're not organizing all of this stuff and teachers and ushers and first impressions. And we're able to minister to people. And this paradigm shift literally took place overnight in the American church. And I really believe that churches that act like the hands and the feet of Christ are standing on a golden opportunity like never before. You know, churches do all kinds of things like, hey, like my Facebook page, like our Facebook page, like, you know, and, and people don't do it. Well, when they join your group, like they're going to get the message of the church. Right. And so you're going to see some exponential growth in the church like you've never seen before simply by having a valid online presence. And when this crisis is over, and it will be, it will be. When this crisis is over, it's going to be your church. It doesn't matter if you're a member of a church or a leader of a church or an elder or deacon. What matters is that people will say, my church, not, not that church, my church, like they were a part of this village. My church stepped up and helped people. They will never forget that. They will never forget it. Mm-hmm. I had a listener uh, just right now, John, uh, text in that, um, we have 28 families in our townhouse association. I'd like to bake each of them a small loaf of banana bread, wrap each one in saran wrap, and deliver it to them. Should I go for it, or will they reject it because I made it? Right. That's a, that's a very valid question. And I think, you know, now because people are so scared, they don't know where the ingredients came from, they don't know who touched it, people would probably accept it. But my guess is that a big chunk of them wouldn't eat it. Mm. So. It's a nice thing to do, but I don't know if people would actually actually respond to it. That's my thoughts anyways. Yeah. Um, and then every, um, every time we have an opportunity to uh, l- listen to somebody, you know, even if it's a neighbor that we're eight feet away from, I think as Christians, uh, I think we got to be listening now more than ever because I bet people are ready to blurt out 
what their fears and anxieties are or what's on their heart. And if we don't listen, we can't respond, can we? We can't respond. And we can't respond if we're panicking. We can't respond if we're fear-driven. The church can either be proactive or reactive. And I think in this situation, we need to be both. We're reactive in a sense that we listen to the CDC guidelines and we apply what they say. But we're proactive in starting villages. We're proactive in saying, hey, when the needs arise, put me in, coach. And simply by being proactive, it calms people's fears. And even those who are glued to their news sets all day long, their screens, their radios, whatever, it lets them know that other people care. It's not everybody for themselves. They're like, hey, these Christians, everyone's running from the crisis. Why are these Christians running to it? Like, why are they, why are they stepping up? They're offering to meet needs of people they don't even know that are so countercultural. Mm-hmm. That's just like that's unheard of in today's day and age. Yeah, John, I know we've got a lot of listeners that may be listening um, because they're not at, uh, they're not at work. And they might be looking through the radio channels trying to figure out something other than the latest panic on the news. And their heart might be ready to to hear uh, what the gospel says. I would love for you just to let them know what that is and give them a chance to know Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the gospel is so clear. Jesus says that in this world you will have trouble. I like to laugh and because he didn't say just kidding after he said that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. I believe that's John 10.10. 10. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So we know that. But then he says, but do not fear. I have overcome the world. And so for for someone who might be listening, wondering, is this the end of the world? You know, they've watched the movies. They've listened to the Hollywood hype. And they're thinking, is this the end of the world? My answer is that God holds everything in his hand. And all throughout history, all throughout history, God has known what's coming. God has been involved in the crisis, and God helps us through the crisis. He helps us through. And really, it's not that we have to do anything other than take our eyes off of ourselves and off of our problem and put them on the cross. Mm -hmm. The cross is that powerful symbol for us believers. That reminds us that Jesus Christ died on the cross because he loves us. He was dead for three days, buried in a tomb. But then God raised him once again to life to prove once and for all that God has power even over death. And this was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people, not one or two, but but Jesus, when he was in his resurrected body, he preached to multitudes of people. People saw him. And others said, did you see him? They said, yes, we saw him. So we know that this is a historical reality. And Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says this. He says, look, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. And and maybe many listeners are like, I don't even know where Romans is. What is that? Well, it's one of the books of the Bible, but it just tells us that all we need to do is put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. We repent of being selfish and of doing things on our own, and we take our eyes and we put them on Jesus and say, Lord, I believe in you. I put my faith and trust in you, especially now in this crisis, especially now in the panic. We can say, Lord, I trust you. And it's amazing that once we put our faith and trust in Christ, the peace that we have in our hearts, 
because that's the Holy Spirit that comes in us and that dwells us, and we have that peace. And that's a peace that I felt the moment that I invited Christ into my heart. I felt an overwhelming peace that, one, I was forgiven, and two, I felt loved by God for the first time. I had never felt that love before. And it's not only just a feeling that's confirmed because it's true mm-hmm. it's in the Scriptures. And I invite any listener who has not come to that place in their life to believe in, rely upon, and cling to Jesus. Make him your allegiance. Right. He will give you a new life, a life that is coming down from heaven to give you a second birth. We call that right. being born again. It's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful moment. It's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the yeah. best decision I've ever made. Bill, I know it's the best decision that you've ever made. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, John, so much for coming on. And thank you for sharing that uh, that initiative with that uh, villages. That's just brilliant. I love that. So I appreciate uh, what you and your and your church is doing right now. Anything we can do to help. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Pastor John Braylon has been my guest. He is the uh, pastor at Freshwater Church in Waconia, Minnesota. That wraps up our show for the day. And thank you for spending time with us today. I just love our time. I'm looking forward to tomorrow already. So uh, be peaceful, be calm, be still, know that God is in control, and know that there will be trouble in this world, but he has overcome the world. As you lay your head on that pillow tonight, just know that God's working out a great plan in your life. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.